Good afternoon and welcome to KFSK News for Thursday, November 2nd. I'm Hannah Floor. Hikers in Petersburg will be getting a crosswalk at the base of Raven's Roost Trail. The idea was discussed at Monday's Petersburg Public Safety Advisory Board meeting. Police Chief Jim Kerr put the idea on the agenda. A member of the public emailed him with the idea saying, visibility isn't great for pedestrians coming off the trail and vehicles often drive fast through the area. He says that made him realize just how busy the trail is. Since they've done all the improvements, that whole trail's just attracted an enormous following. People just making morning trips up there, afternoon trips. And so when she brought that idea up, it was an excellent idea. The Public Safety Advisory Board voted unanimously to recommend the police department put a crosswalk between the base of Raven's Roost Trail and the parking lot across the street. The change will involve a crossing sign on each side of the road and painted yellow crosswalk lines. Kerr says adding the crosswalk will be simple and low cost. The cost is going to be manpower to install it, paint, and signage. And when you compare that to safety, it's priceless. The Public Works Department will actually be the ones installing the crosswalk, and they likely won't do that until springtime. They need to order the signs, and by the time those arrive, it'll be almost winter. Not a good time to paint the roads. The Public Safety Advisory Board met on Monday, October 30th, for the first time since April. In recent years, more than two dozen at-u, or Tlingit clan property items, have been repatriated to wrangle clans. But hundreds more still sit in collections of museums throughout the world. KSDK's Sage Smiley reports on the ongoing efforts to bring sacred clan property home. A man crouches, swings his head, and growls through a wooden vocal magnifier in the small round doorway of Wrangell's Chief Sheikh's tribal house. He wears a grizzly bear mask, one of the two dozen items returned to Wrangell clans in recent years from museums across the western U.S. It was part of a celebration, a kuik, to welcome the items home to the Nanya Ayi that took place in early September. Some of the items were part of a large collection amassed by former Wrangell educator Axel Rasmussen. Four had been seized from homes by Wrangell police in the 1930s. Repatriation is a slow and ongoing process. Museums from coast to coast hold atu, clan property of Wrangell clans, including human remains. Returns are facilitated through the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act, or NAGPRA, a 1990 law aimed at returning and protecting Native remains, funerary objects, and sacred objects of cultural patrimony. I wish it was faster. Harold Jacobs works on repatriations with the regional tribal government, the Central Council of Tlingit and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska. The tribe has received hundreds of thousands of dollars of federal support in recent years to help facilitate clan item repatriations. Central law says they have 90 days to respond to a claim. Last year, the Portland Art Museum returned nine clan objects to Wrangell's Nanya Ayi, which were taken from them in the 1940s. The last two years, of course, the pandemic held up. They were ready to come back then, but we couldn't do any travel with either institution, the tribe or the museum, because of travel restrictions. Jacob says Slinga and Haida had asked for the items back in 2002, 20 years before they returned to the Nanya'i. Clan members used some of the objects to lead dances at celebration in 2022, the biennial festival of Tlingit, Haida, and Simsian cultures. 
Many other repatriations are in process. In early March, a museum in Maine published its intent to repatriate a Kixeti clan helmet taken from Wrangell at an unknown date. That intent to repatriate came after representatives from the Central Council visited the museum in 2018. An item that belongs to the clan belongs to the whole clan, and it's supposed to remain with that clan. Kuntz, Richard Oliver, is a former tribal president for the Wrangell Cooperative Association of the Kayash Kiditan clan. Earlier this year, Oliver traveled with Harold Jacobs and others to New York City to see more than 100 Wrangell clan items in the Museum of Natural History and the Museum of the American Indian. Some of them, we don't know which clan they belong to, but we do know they came from Wrangell. Um, so, some are the Nanyai possessions, chief sheikhs, um, also some are Kayash Kuditan we know of, but the rest was from the Emmons expedition when they came through here. They didn't have any rights to them. Some of them are shaman objects that were just taken right off of their graves. Proving clan ownership is an important part of the repatriation process, but that can be tough when items are ancient. Kathleen Ashmilby is the curator of Native American art at the Portland Art Museum and an enrolled member of the Navajo Nation. She oversaw the return of the nine Nanya Ai Atu in the spring of 2022. And this case was actually kind of exceptional in a way because there was actually photographic documentation uh, going back to the late 19th century that show the items as clan property. And that was actually really kind of exciting to be able to see the objects in their original context. Ash Milby says museums like the Portland Art Museum take dispossession seriously, but are working to shift the historical relationship with tribes. I think that having that federal law has really motivated museums to think more carefully about the relationships with Native communities and how they care for these objects, and also realigning their thinking about these objects as being something purely from the past and not something that's part of a living culture. That living culture is an important reason to pursue repatriation for Oliver, the former Wrangell tribal president. He says objects should be seen, appreciated, and enjoyed. We have a beautiful museum that really should be filled with the things that belong here. And uh, if we have to try to build another wing to fit all these things, that would be a good thing, too. Wrangell's museum, housed at the borough-owned Nolan Center, has limited space, but is working on a grant for a new display case. Tribal council members have publicly expressed concern about storage and discussed the possibility of building another museum to house repatriated Wrangell at U and those that come home in the future. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. After 30 years, the city of Sitka is renegotiating its airport lease with the state of Alaska. And some of the state's proposed terms are giving assembly members pause. Among them, new parking fees and a cut of airport concessions, like restaurant and gift sales. All at a time when a multi-million dollar federal grant for airport expansion is in the balance. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports from Sitka. The state of Alaska owns Sitka's airport, but the city owns the terminal building. When the assembly met on October 24th, it heard a presentation from Troy LaRue, the state's operations manager for aviation. LaRue told the assembly that before Sitka's terminal expansion project can proceed, the Federal Aviation Administration requires some updates to the new lease agreement between the city and the state, like collecting concessions on airport sales. 
Additionally, the state wants to regulate parking and charge fees. LaRue said the parking situation is currently chaotic and unsustainable. Assemblymember Tor Christensen disagreed. If you start charging for parking, I would use some of that money to buy a bulletproof vest because people will be pissed. And I disagree with you that it's chaotic over there. It's, I mean, I use the airport a lot, and it's not. You use the seven-day parking. If, you, if it's full, I arrange for my wife to come get my vehicle from me. And I don't think it is that chaotic. Municipal Administrator John Leach, who'd met with LaRue in negotiations earlier in the day, said he could see both sides of the parking lot issue. It may not seem chaotic, but there are, there are little things with, um, you know, Vehicles that are left there overnight, and then the worst-case scenario is vehicles that get abandoned there, and then it's how are we going to deal with it? I mean, was it Bethel? I think they had, like, trees growing through some cars that were that were abandoned at the, the airport parking lot. So um, it's not necessarily unique to Sitka. The parking fees and other lease details are just now coming forward when, after months of work, Sitka is in line to secure a $34 million federal grant for construction of a much-needed terminal expansion. LaRue threw the assembly another curve when he said the state would be taking a bigger share of the grant funding than initially expected due to FAA requirements, around 7% of the project funds for administration. When we first started standing up this terminal project, uh, we kind of thought we were going to drop off a sack of cash on your doorstep. You were going to receive the grant, and uh, we were just going to help. That was our intention. As it turns out, as we approached the FAA and said, how do we accomplish this? They said, no, you can't do that. And I said, well, wait a minute. We have this co-sponsorship agreement. And they said, yeah, no, that's not worth the, the paper it's written on. So it was kind of a surprise to John Leach when I said, oh, by the way, we're taking 7% of your project so that we can help administer it. Um, it. It wasn't very popular. Assembly members and LaRue discussed what may also be included in the new lease agreement, like added security and staffing, and shoring up management responsibilities, like who provides snow plowing for certain areas. But with a big airport expansion project on the horizon, with the next federal funding deadline weeks away, Assemblymember Chris Yested wasn't happy to be discussing lease terms. I'm going to fully admit I don't like the timing. Um, we're renegotiating leases with a massive grant hanging over our head, and I feel like it's unfair leverage. Um, but it is what it is, and let's just deal with the situation. It's some of these things I don't like, but there's it's the FAA. You know, what are we going to do? With the target date for federal funding at the beginning of December, the Assembly has one month to finalize a lease with the State Department of Transportation. With negotiations ongoing, City Administrator Leach said he hoped to bring a lease before the Assembly for approval at its next meeting. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. Crowded sidewalks and packed city buses aren't the only signs of a busy tourist season in downtown Juneau. In recent years, people have also noticed slower cell service. As KTOO's Katie Anastas reports, city officials are considering expanding public Wi-Fi in order to free up space on cell networks. Juno Tourism Manager Alexandra Pierce says complaints about cell service have been growing. Since the industry returned last year, we've had a fairly large volume of questions and complaints about whether or not the cruise ships are contributing to this issue, and they absolutely are. As cruises return to full capacity and ships themselves get bigger, more people are visiting Juno than ever. 
When all those visitors try using their cell phones, it can make service slower for everyone. Chris Murray is the city and borough of Juno's IT director. The cellular networks only have a certain amount of capacity, and that's why you see on a low shift day, it works just fine, but when you have more people, it's congested and nobody's happy. Now, in an effort to free up space on cell service networks, city officials are considering expanding public Wi-Fi service in the busiest parts of downtown during the tourist season. Uh, if we can slice off a chunk of passengers onto a public Wi-Fi, that frees up space on the cell networks. The Juneau Public Library has provided free Wi-Fi in Marine Park since 2018. Before that, tourists would often go to the downtown branch to use the Internet. City officials reported more than 100 people used the Wi-Fi there each day, taking up the armchairs and spots at the desks. The library installed the Wi-Fi in Marine Park because there were a lot of people coming to the library to use the Wi-Fi, and it was creating some congestion issues for them. Marine passenger fees pay for the park Wi-Fi. The city spent $7,800 to set it up, and it costs about $2,000 per season to run it. When visitors use the Marine Park Wi-Fi, they're freeing up space in networks run by cell service providers, like AT&T and GCI. Those networks can slow down when there's a big influx of visitors. Expanding seasonal Wi-Fi would give more visitors a chance to get off the 4G and 5G networks, Pierce says. That's what we're looking at potentially doing. It's just expanding that Wi-Fi footprint to free up network capacity for local people trying to use their phones. The city's IT department is gauging Internet providers' interest in adding Wi-Fi to a three-square-mile area downtown. Murray says it would start at the whale statue and go south along the waterfront. We would have to connect various access points all the way from the whale statue south, which means bouncing it off light poles and putting in a lot of infrastructure. The city has put out a request for information which can help city leaders get a sense of what it might cost and whether it's even feasible. The next step would be finding a funding source. The city's request for information closes next week. If the project moves forward, it could be the latest way the city adapts to record-breaking visitor numbers during tourist season. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas.